This is Petey Page. I am Mike. J-Mac. Brutal Dudes. And today, we have a very special guest. Um, before I introduce him, I would like to say a little thing ahead of time. This is going to make me sound very valedictorian, but it's not often in your life that you meet people uh, and then reconnect with them and they have accomplished the goals that they set when you first met them. Uh, and I'm really, really extremely, you know, even though we haven't talked in a really long time, and this is the first time we've been talking in a while, I'm very proud that my friend got to where he wanted to be you know, followed his dream and made it to his dream. And you don't often get to say that or see that. So I just wanted you to know ahead of time that this, I've known this, I've technically known this guy for a really long time um, in sporadic moments. <laughs> so let me introduce him. Uh, U.S. News and World Report bestselling author, my friend, Rob Swartwood. Hey, wow. You're making me uh, blush over here. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Hey, no, listen, dude, I'm I, like, when I told when I when I came across because that's what ultimately happened. I was looking on Amazon and I was looking. I typed in local authors, and I guess even though it's Philly, it's still considered like local where you are. And your name popped up, and I was like, "There's no fucking way that's the same guy that I went to Millersville with. No way." And I click on it, and I'm like, "Nope, that kind of looks like him." And I looked at the story, and I'll tell you the truth: the Holly Lynn story. You were working on that when we were in Millersville, yeah? No, no, no. <laughs> that happened like, way after. What happened way after? I would like have to say, and first of all, you were on Amazon just looking up local authors. Yeah, that's kind of that's interesting. I've, I've never heard anybody just search Amazon specifically. They're usually you know searching for like a James Patterson or Stephen King. So that's interesting. I, and I have no idea how that would work either because I don't think there's anything in there like you know like geo tagged to my location. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's, it's weird. It was I went like. I was, I met a guy that's an author that does like local history for like this area, our area and like outside of Philly. And I forgot his name because I met him in Chicago. So I was trying to look him up. I was like, Oh, I'll just take local authors and like authors will come up and it came up. I don't know. I guess, I, I mean, you know, you, you were in Lancaster. So, I mean, maybe did, is there, there's nothing in that information that would say that though. Um, I mean, well, you know, Amazon's kind of like Facebook and that they probably have everybody's, uh, <laughs> they they have everybody's like metadata. Yeah, right. So it, it, they're like, it, this it is what Robert purchased last. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, I well, so I was living in Lancaster. Currently, I'm in Harrisburg. So I have been Harrisburg for quite a while. But if you're down where where you you, you said you're down in Philly, yeah. So I mean, that's I guess technically local in terms of the state. But yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, dude, it was cool. But but I saw it and I was like, holy shit! And then I saw that you had a bunch of books. And I'm like, holy shit. And like, because I, I thought maybe like, oh, I must have just missed like the one or two books. And I was like, oh, wow, you got a lot of fucking books out there. And then I looked and I was like, holy shit. Like, this is U US, News and US News and World Report, right? Best on an author? Uh, I mean, well, USA Today, best. Yeah. Or USA, USA Today. Yeah. There's there's some difference there, but you know, it's not that big of a deal. I apologize. I apologize. But but it's still, it's still awesome. Like, <laughs> to have gone from being in an English, in a, in a creative writing class. And, and getting Pizza Hut at the fucking cafe in Millersville for lunch on every Wednesday, remember? Yeah, so I don't, I mean, we can get into the whole college thing, and this is okay. always kind of weird, where I, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. But right. when I went to college, it was mostly, it was one of those things where just my parents kind of told me I had to, you had to go to college. Because right. I was, I was content, at the time I was working at Real Cinema, so, you know, I right. just graduated exactly. high school, right. 
I was working at uh, Everdale Cinemas. I think at that point they may have um, like promoted me to like assistant manager. So it seemed like a big deal, even though I was probably making shit money. But <laughs> I was fine with just writing and and going to work. But it was a it was this thing where, and I think I don't know. It's been twenty years, and I wonder if parents have kind of changed from that. Where for a while it was parents were very you have to go to college. They you know everybody has to go to college. I always felt like I mean. My, my wife and I, we don't have kids, but I think we've always discussed that if we did, we probably wouldn't, you know, we we wouldn't pressure them to go into college because I don't think it's really that needed as it is now. But anyway, so at the time, go to college. Well, I, I didn't really want to go to college, but I knew I wanted to be a writer, so I wanted to be an English major. But I never really had the idea that I was going to take like creative writing courses or anything. In fact, I never took any creative writing courses. I just took regular general English courses for the first semester or two. And then at one point I had dated this girl who she was a little bit of a, I don't want to say it, but at one point she kind of pointed out, she's like, what are you going to do with your English major? And I thought about it. I was like, well, that's a good point. Cause you know, being a writer is one thing. So I ended up, anyway, I ended up switching over to English education. So I was still doing English, but so I ended up going an extra semester because I do my student teaching. Cause I had, um, you know, the English degree, you have to do a lot of extra courses and whatever else. So I kind of missed that for the first year or two. Um, which is all to kind of loop back around that I didn't actually do any of uh, creative writing courses, to be honest with you. Yeah, we just had our little collective that we used to eat lunch with, right? Talking yeah, about, I mean, I remember us talking a lot about stories that we wanted to write. There were times, and and again, I remember I I specifically remember you and one. Were, were you part of the underground newspaper? Yeah, dude. <laughs> we did okay. that together. So hey, I remember that. again. You have to remember that this was now twenty years ago, and at the I time totally... I wasn't I wasn't living on campus. I was commuting because at the time I wouldn't say probably like 15, 20 minutes away is you know where I lived. So I never really spent much time on campus. I would go to school and then I would go to work at the Real Cinemas, who which was probably like ten minutes away from the college. Right. And then, and, and then I would go home. So oftentimes I would either, you know, I, I, I wasn't spending that much time on campus, but yeah, there were definitely some kids that I would hang out with. You were one of them. Um, and I remember Christian, I, I, the other one that told Yes, yes, kid. yes. I, I remember Christian too. Um, that Yes. And, and again, the last name escapes me, but I can picture the face and I remember the first name. The same with you. I remember, your, I remember your first name because I remember one time coming up and again, we had this like, I think it was an evening class. I come up to the hallway. You're sitting on a bench outside. You have headphones on and you're just bobbing your head like crazy. Yep. Sounds about right. <laughs> and then and it was just, you were just kind of like, just like bouncing along. And uh, I forget. And then I honestly forget what class that was. I remember the teacher, the, the professor was this older um, Asian woman. And my earbuds fell out. She, uh, we had, I don't know, like, so at one point, how long did you stay in that class? Because I don't know if you would have re remembered this. We had to do some type of, uh, what was it? We had to do some type of presentation. And we were expected to essentially, like, ask or have people ask us questions and i forget even what the presentation was but i had come in before class and i had put questions on note cards and i had numbered them and so i had handed them out to different people in class being like you know this is the number on here so answer this so essentially when my presentation was over i said does anybody have any questions and then the person who had had my note card with number one asked me the question whose number whose answer i obviously already knew because i had written the question and i think there was like maybe three or four of those and the teacher seemed very impressed and I don't know. 
In fact, I, in fact, it almost got to the point where I was like, can I just uh, dismiss class? And she's like, no, you need to sit back down. But so I don't know, were you, were you, were you in that one? I, I was not. I must not have spent much time because I, like I said, when we were talking earlier, I think that was the, that was the class where I was like, oh, there's that rule where if you're, the teacher doesn't show up by a certain time, you can just leave and you don't get credit off. And I never went back. And I, I looked at, I've recently looked at my transcripts. And I, that's not on my transcripts, my unofficial transcripts. So I must not, have, yeah. I must have like withdrawn that next day. Oh wow, that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so and then we had that 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 underground newspaper, which lasted for a couple uh, issues. I still have um, it, and that was fun, it, but it got kind of pricey because we were. What's that? Do you still have it? I still have it. You know what? I probably in a folder somewhere. I I probably have copies. Uh, I'm sure I probably would have saved uh, a lot of my earlier stuff. You do? Oh yeah, I have it. Uh, I had. I actually have I, it with my articles from when I went to Bucks Community College. I was actually a reporter for the paper, and I have my articles amazing. that I wrote for that because the Haywire was like the first thing. Haywire, yes, I remember we called it Haywire. And do you remember we started with like issue two or three? Yeah, because you that was your because idea. With the idea that we were going to start having just like these, uh, it, was, it was just like a one page, but we were just going to have it spread all over campus. And we were going to basically uh, reference stuff that happened in the first issue that did not even exist. Yep. So yes, that there was all this shit that, that happened. Uh, yeah, but that only lasted like, because quite honestly, I, I think I was paying for that out of my pocket. And it was it was expensive to just like, I mean, you know, like, you know, you're a college kid at the time, but oh, like, yeah. just to like run off, maybe like a, like like 100, 200 copies, it, it was like more money than I was going to spend at the time. So, yeah, yeah, and but, it was like, it, and it was strapping us all. That I remember that's why we stopped doing it uh, because we were we were, and then we decided we were going to do it like sporadically, and then I stopped going to Millersville because I like kind of, I guess you could say I failed out. I didn't really fail out because in college you really don't fail out. You just sort of like do really bad and then like give up. And I went home and worked in a window warehouse and then decided that I didn't want to do that for my life. And that's when I went to Bucks and started like taking journalism classes, ended up with a journalism degree and, you know. Oh, wow. Very degree. cool. Yeah. A couple English degrees, a couple master's degrees. I'm going to be working on a PhD starting next fall. So oh, that's awesome. Yeah, dude. So, I mean, I, you know, I so, stayed in school. So don't feel bad that you took an extra semester because I'm still going. 22 years <laughs> later, I'm still there. <laughs> so so how do you guys know each other uh well so mike and i used to work in uh giant together and we used to uh talk about doing stuff on the radio basically and on podcasts and just in general we were just bullshit about funny stuff and pete i met through um we had actually for was it first masters pete we did our masters together right yeah yeah, yeah we it was to, um we went to westchester it was the masters at westchester so i kind of it's interesting, uh, like Robert, you mentioned being an English major, you have to take all these extra classes. When I was an English major uh, in undergrad, just as with a bachelor's degree, they were like, you need a minor. And I'm like, why? And they're like, you just do. And then one of my professors in my final year was like, yeah, you need a minor because there's not a lot you can do with a bachelor's in English. And I was like, oh, cool. Thanks for telling me this in my final year. Uh, <laughs> so I was a I was a psychology minor and I could have been a philosophy minor. Um, but again, like I didn't well, like psychology, you got to get your master's or a PhD in order to do something with that. And that was just like a lot. And I ended up going the teaching route and sticking with the teaching route. Like after I got my, ma I wanted my master's, I got my master's. And then after that, I taught college for about five years as an adjunct and that doesn't pay the bills. So I went back for my cert and I got my high school cert and that's where I'm at now. I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. Um, oh, nice. 
Yeah. And it's interesting because I did the thing where like, I don't know if you did the same thing, but like a lot of people would always ask as an English major, they're like, oh, you're going to be a teacher or you're going to be an educator, right? Yeah. I mean, that that was the main thing. It was always, in fact, I remember a friend of mine, uh, was it his his girlfriend or his fiance at the time, but we he was some kind of party and her mom, who I kind of knew somewhat through through just different channels but she had came up to me and she's like oh you're going to college what are you going to and i said uh yeah i'm an english major she's like oh what are you going to do with that and i was I like wow that okay question. yeah I that's nice that question i hate it i hate when people ask it to this day that pisses me off it's like i don't know build a fucking house i can do whatever i want like why do i have to justify my my degree or, or what i'm good at or what i'm interested in by like some sort of fucking long-term goal that i want to accomplish like maybe i'm just going to go hit a homeless guy in the head with a steel fucking chair maybe that's what i want to do for today with having my degree like I, i've always but you could that question. you could write about it eloquently afterwards <laughs> all right you could write your own uh newspaper article about hitting a homeless guy with a chair you're right yeah well i'm in prison for hitting a homeless guy in a chair <laughs> But and I, so I think that like, I mean, it kind of speaks to like the whole system. I mean, again, Robert, it sounds like you were said, you know, you were told, hey, go to college and get a degree and you'll be cool. And then people are finding out that that's not really the case. And so you have this whole generation of people that get asked that question like, oh, you know, what did you go to school for? Or, oh, while you're in school, what do you, you know, what are you going to do with that? And as in my final year of my English bachelor's, I took a, like a capstone course about the major and we read a book about like different careers you could do with an English degree. And it wasn't sad. I mean, there were some interesting things in there, but it was also very much like a very like big awakening. And I like, honestly, I feel like they should have given that book to us at the beginning of our college career, because then you could see like, oh, I don't want to be a journalist. I don't want to be a writer. I don't want to be an educator. Here's what I want to do. And I guess I should go and do this degree instead. And as a teacher, I tell my students all the time, look, if you don't have to go Drop to college, to do, oh. well, no, yeah, <laughs> but no, no, no. I tell them, I tell them, look, if you like figure out what you want to do and if you need to go to college for that, then go to college for that. But if you don't like, and I had a kid today who was, we were talking, he's like, yeah, I'm really interested in coding, but I also help my dad out. So I kind of want to get into like electrical and plumbing. And I'm like, yeah, do both, man. Because if one like doesn't work out or like falls apart, like, you know, in 10 years, if we have machines installing pipes in all of our houses, uh, then you can just go and fucking code those machines and make just the same amount of money. And I'm like, and, and he's like, the oh, Terminator sick. From starting the apocalypse, which is yeah, a, right. That's a good <laughs> skill to have. The Pluminator, the Pluminator too. See, I, I uh, do think what you're saying though, that's an incredibly valuable thing. Cause I had this like moment in my life. Cause I was always told you have to go to college. Just like Robert was saying. Um, and then I remember working on a project at Warner brothers and a Warner Brothers executive asking me something, I went, you know, I went to college and they said, I don't give a fuck. Can you do this? <laughs> and in that instant, I was just like, I just set fire to a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> That's I just made the worst mistake of my life going to college. <laughs> yeah. I, and, you know, now that I think about it, I don't remember when we started college. I don't know. Um, Jimmy, did you have like a guidance i mean there wasn't i want to say a guidance counselor but there there was nobody that you that i ever spoke with to basically ask what are you looking to get out of this yeah no no I you don't just not signed up for classes i i think there was maybe some type of advisor that you hardly ever saw but i never and, and, and again going back to the writing like i wanted to be a writer 
Um, I never really thought about taking your, you know, um, creative writing classes. I never knew at the time really that you could then get your masters. Like a lot of like programs all over the state had all these like master programs just in writing and also in like teaching writing. That was nothing that even really kind of crossed my mind or like even the, was on my radar. So it just this is the idea where at the time and maybe things have changed now with colleges, but you 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 get there, you sign up for some classes, you go to classes, you, you know, you do what you need to do, but you never really talk to anybody about really what your future was until maybe you got to like your third or fourth year when you were kind of down that road. And for me, when I you know switched over to teaching, which what which when I graduated, I had subbed for a couple years, but I got to that point then where I became the the sub where they would just start using me for everything. And I realized in the school district, essentially when you become one of those people that they can rely on to put you anywhere, you're never going to get hired with them. And then after subbing for so many years, at this point, schools are looking for people who are fresh out of college. So it became a thing that quite honestly, um, I think around that time I'd gotten married, I needed to get a job that had more full time with benefits. So I ended up working at a grocery store, quite honestly, for a good for a good chunk of time, which of course did not require a college degree, but again, I was still writing at the time, so I was still doing what I wanted to do um, on that. But yeah, I mean, I would say with all the jobs I've had, a good chunk of those jobs did not require a degree at all. I'm glad to In fact, you it, ended up joining the grocery workforce as as did I. We had we've taken similar paths. It seems like. <laughs> yeah, well, I was up here. I mean, it was a. Uh, it was an independent um, chain up here in the uh, well at, at the time when I was living down in Lancaster County. It was uh, Stouffer's of Kissel Hill, mm-hmm. which uh, it, it it was okay. It had its moments. Um, I will say with Giant though, just as a customer, I love going to Giant. That's the only store I usually go around here. That was where me and Mike were, where, where, where we worked. Yeah. Now you guys probably see things a little bit different having been employees. Because I know that that's usually how it is. I mean, oftentimes, you know, having worked in a place, it's always you see always the the, the really shitty aspect of it. So you guys might not even want to, you know, shop at a giant. But for whatever reason, like we have Weiss markets up here. I yeah. never go to a Weiss market. <laughs> I used to go to Weaver. Weaver was because that was closer to where my grandma lived. So yeah. when I commuted to Millersville, that's where I was commuting from from Effort. And I would like go to Weaver's because Weaver's was like they were like a mom and pop. They were probably a lot like Stoffers, but like. uh um, there was there, and then my cousin, my cousin actually worked at Darren Camps, which is I think near there, near Lancaster area too. Right? Yeah, yep. So we, but we had, we had, it was like they were better. Like I remember every every like Sunday or Saturday, they had a, a cart that would sell hot dogs fresh, and they weren't like shitty Wawa hot dogs. They were like real like the Amish people are cooking the hot dogs for you. I don't like Wawa hot dogs either, but when you insult Wawa, I take it personally. <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like you're coming after my culture. I'm sorry, dude. Wawa <laughs> sucks balls. So, so is there a split on here between Wawa and Sheets? I love Sheets. Oh, I have nothing against Sheets. I'm all uh, same. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think you should pit them against each other. I think they're all good for their own thing. The one thing I will say is that the first time I did the touchscreen ordering at Sheets, I fucked up so hard. Like, I got a, it was like a chicken finger, like sub hoagie, whatever. Um, and I, I'm like, like oh my a guy God. came out and punched me in the face, and he was like, "You yeah, ordered yeah. this." No, no, I, I like, I got. Like, it we put that like, on there as a joke. We didn't think anybody would choose it. I was like, I was like, oh yeah, I want like lettuce and tomato and like hot sauce and cheese and mozzarella sticks. Hell yeah, and jalapeno poppers, sure, and onion rings, cool. And they like, I didn't realize they put all that on the sandwich. So the thing came out like, like. Uh, like a like a fucking like joke dildo, and I'm like, how am I gonna eat this thing? 
Like, oh. and I was driving home. I was like, I was on like on the leg end of an eight hour road trip. And I'm like, I need to eat. So like, I had to have my wife drive the last two hours so I could attempt to eat this like mammoth fucking submarine sandwich from Sheets. Um, and Peter I never, I never did the touchscreen again. Peter, I got to tell you, did not see choke dildo coming when you were describing that. That was <laughs> the said, last I thing joke. I expected your reference. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> like a joke, like a it, oh, like joke. Literally. I thought you said choke yes. dildo. No, it sounds I, funnier when you say choke dildo. <laughs> all right, well, keep that in, and then maybe cut out my explanation. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think they're both great at different things, and like the amount of options you can do with sheets. Also, the pretzel. There's like a like a ham and cheese on a pretzel that you can just grab yeah. and go. Oh, trying to get somebody to choose between sheets and Wawa is like trying to get them to choose between their children, but they love sheets and Wawa more. Yeah, actually, did you guys see the uh, the gas right now? Is sheets is um uh, the lowest unleaded right now is buck ninety nine for the week. Yeah. I heard that. Just FYI, which is why they win. (laughs) I'm going to drive three hours to fill my tank. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Robert, how did you go from now the job at the grocery store to the first book? Um, so let me see here. Going timeline wise, how can I explain this so it doesn't get too boring? So, uh, I would say out of college at that point, uh, when I was student teaching, I believe I had been working on my first novel. Right out of college, I think it wasn't my first novel that I had written, maybe my second or third, but at one point I had gotten an, an agent. And, you know, I thought at the time I made it. I got an agent. I'm going to sell this fucking book. I'm going to make a shitload of money. That is, that is, of course, not how it happened. So I had found an agent. And this was back in the day where... Um, now, you know, my current agent, I'll, I will email her my book. She will email the book to various editors. Uh, assuming one accepts it, we'll do the edits via, you know, everything is done digitally. Back then, and again, it sounds like it was the Stone Age, but it was only maybe like at this point, maybe 15, 20, I don't know, I forget what it was. Yeah. But to, to shop around the book, I had to print out copies of the manuscript, mail it to him in New York, at which point then he would mail that you know those manuscripts around to different publishers like publishers were just receiving huge ass books in the mail that then probably a poor um uh editorial assistant would have to kind of just kind of go you know run through and then you know send over so that just seemed like a very long time ago so anyway he at that time uh two books we had shopped around uh did not sell any um i ended up leaving him just because and again i I think in my mind I had this probably at the time, um, like entourage type view of, hey, you were supposed to be, you know, buddies with your agent. You're supposed to like talk to your agent all the time. And of course, I, you know, I would very rarely hear from my agent. I just kind of felt like, okay. And then after a while too, I think that once, you know, once there's an agent and they're and they're trying to sell your books and there's really, you know, no one's really biting, they just there's the loss of enthusiasm. So I basically preemptively uh, broke up with him before he could break up with me on that. So then, <laughs> I so then I was kind of agentless for a while. And then I, at some point, kept I kept working on books. I ended up getting another agent, um, who uh, the same thing. I think he had shopped around two different novels that we were not able to place. It, it, it was always like we would get really nice comments back. You know, an editor would be like, "Oh yeah, I really enjoyed this, but it's just not right for uh, you know this publishing house or whatever." 
And uh, during that point, I had done this really kind of, at the point I was doing a lot of flash fiction. So for anybody who doesn't know, flash fiction is ultimately kind of defined as, as stories that are a thousand words or less. And I had written this essay talking about short, short, short stories that were like the Ernest Hemingway six word story. And just before then I had seen this other writer, he had made some type of comment where he wanted to essentially coin a phrase and said, like, I'm going to coin this here. So if this ever happens in the future, you know, everyone can see that I did it first. So kind of in a tongue in cheek way, I said, well, these stories should be these really very, 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 very short stories should be called hint, hint fiction because they hint at a larger story, so, such as that the Hemingway six word story, uh, for sale, uh, baby shoes never worn. Mm -hmm. And uh, long story short, I ended up getting a deal with W.W. Norton and I edited an anthology of stories. I think I saw that, that. was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of my first thing that was in that that was in bookstores, and I mean, I it was reviewed in like the New Yorker. I was I was interviewed on like NPR with Scott Simon. Oh, uh, it it was a really it was a really big thing, and at that time, God, I, I mean, that was that was back in two thousand nine. So I think that was right in my late twenties. I had done that, and at which point I was like, okay, see if I can maybe capitalize on this. Maybe I should go back to school to get my MFA because now I've essentially, and I don't want to make this come across as, how do I want to say it? <laughs> I don't, is it, okay, so it's going to come, it's going to come across very arrogant and I, and I, and I, and I don't want to make it seem that way because I never view it this way, but I've had a lot of people tell me like, I essentially like created a, a genre of fiction in a way, because now a lot of people just refer to it as this. Like I've seen even now over 10 years later, uh, schools are still teaching it. Um, you know, I saw recently there was a, uh, a, a magazine that was running a hint fiction contest. So it's this thing that has really stuck around. It wasn't just a flash in the pan type thing. That's, so that's I was not, like, that's not arrogant at all. That's fucking badass, dude. I would, I, I totally, I'm not going to let you live that down. I'm going to own that for you. I'm going to tell everyone that my friend created. Well, it. I was in, I was giving <laughs> yeah, some man. talk somewhere, and, and and someone had asked me basically that question, and I had really downplayed it. I'm like, no, you know, this is just it's just a term. It doesn't really mean anything. And then and then afterward, a friend of mine who actually uh, teaches writing at uh, college at the time, I think we were on in Missouri because there was some. It was like the local art um, exhibit had basically used the anthology as like a stepping stone for people to create their own art, and so they flew me out there. And it was this big thing where I kind of gave a talk and everything. And but a friend of mine who actually teaches around there had come out, and, he's, and he and he pulled me aside afterward. And he's just like, "No," he's like, "I I think you you did." And I was like, "So it's just it's one of those things that I just never really." But okay, so going back to, I wanted to capitalize on it, so I was like, maybe I should go back to school, get get my master's in creative writing, and then I can basically use this, especially on my resume, that hey, you know, this in fiction anthology. I mean. You know, coming into potentially a grad program, having already edited a W.W. Norton anthology, that would help me maybe stand out. Um, yeah. And I did actually get accepted by one place, but ultimately, I just, I, you know, at that point, I was married. You know, I'd have to, you know, pick up both my life and her life, and we have to move down to the, you know, where I got accepted at, the, at, at that time. I don't want to say the college, but it was down in the D.C. area. Uh, so it was going to be very expensive and it was just oh, yeah. like, uh, I ended up, I ended up passing on it. So, which, you know, it's funny because a friend of mine who 
he had he was also a, a teacher um and he and he taught a lot of classes i think he had even gone to iowa which was like the iowa writers workshop yeah. which was the big which was like the big writing program where i mean basically anytime anybody who goes to iowa writers workshop they just come out of that program oftentimes you get like people in the new yorker having their stories published to go there um he had done a lot of literary stuff, but then he started moving towards more genre. He was he, he was dabbling more in comics. Now he basically writes a lot of his stuff for Marvel and DC. Well, I think he started out in DC and, and, and then now he's Marvel. And he just, he's really switched to that whole more just genre because that's what he enjoys doing. Are you allowed and to say he and I had had a conversation re recently where essentially the crowd that he used to be you know, people would fawn over him. He's now no longer even welcome in those circles, just because there's this idea of this, you know, literary writers who had to have, to have this sensibility where it has to be very serious. Where with him, he just he wants to have fun. You know, he wants to entertain. And uh, that so that was another one one of the other reasons too, where I was I was very on the fence about you know having going into a program like that because I knew that they just didn't. They, they just don't really treat genre very well. Like for me growing up reading Stephen King, uh, Michael Crichton, uh, it, you know, that's just, I knew that was, that was the direction I wanted to go. And that was, um, that was that's kind of what happened to me when I went for my MFA, I went to Rosemont. Rosemont is like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I know Rosemont. You yeah. know, Randall Brown. Yeah, actually I do. Yeah, I, have, uh, yeah, I know Randall. He's uh he was, I can't remember if I had a class with him or if, he was, he might've known my, my advisor for my, he might've been really good friends with uh, my advisor, Blythe Davenport. She went there too. Okay. I don't know if they're like, I think they were like really good friends, but she was, she was my advisor there for, uh, for my MFA. But yeah, they're, uh, he, he had, he had pretty good stories. He always had pretty good stories. And, uh, but that was, they're very genre. They're, they're like the opposite. They're like super genre. Like they, they encourage you to pick a genre and write in that genre. So I was able to like I I had always done fiction and I had always done um, sci-fi stuff and I actually started doing not uh, creative nonfiction and realized that I really, mm -hmm. really love creative nonfiction. So that's kind of I, I I don't I don't exclusively do that, but like I do that a lot more than I did before because I think creative nonfiction is like such a great just such a great genre. Did you, did you ever see there? There was a viral tweet uh, from a while back that said something like uh, creative. Creative nonfiction writers be like, he says, uh, when I was a kid, my grandfather and I went to the fair and I had and I had a hot dog uh, scene break. Uh, the definition of a hot dog, according to Miriam Webster, is. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's, so. That's not what it is, though, really. I mean, you just you're ultimately just it was it was that, that's what happened. Like a lot of the, it was there was I had classes with like. You know, and, and I'm sure you know how this is, and Pete knows because we were always the two guys in the class. But it was like, uh, there's it's like very predominantly uh, feminine, and then there's like two or three guys, and like my stories would be very like dude esque. So it would be like about like playing a baseball game and like making a catch and not expecting to make the catch and like have that having that be a big thing. And then these girls would be writing stories about you know cultivating plants outside of this house that they bought from the 1800s and how they 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 wanted to like renovate the house. And I'm like. Yeah, no, this is different sensibilities we're talking about, people. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I creative nonfiction has always gone over my head. Can you really explain it? Because I never understood the idea of. I mean, just it's nonfiction, yeah. but it's also creative. But yet, it's yeah. not fiction. 
So it's like, so basically the, the easiest way to explain it, the easiest way to describe it for me, the easiest way to describe it to people is because I didn't really know what it was. till I took a creative nonfiction like workshop. So basically it's not straight nonfiction is like you're telling like historical fact, right? There's not really a lot of room for like flourish, I guess is the way to put it. Um, creative nonfiction is telling stories from your perspective almost a first person's perspective, but like you're adding your flourish. So like, I could tell you that, like, I could tell you that I walked down the street, got a slice of pizza, walked back down and forgot a slice for my wife, let's say. And that's the story for a nonfiction writer, for a creative nonfiction writer. You walk down the street and you're like, I'm walking down the same street again that I've lived on for 15 years. It drives me crazy that this is all I could ever have afforded. Uh, I'm going into the same damn pizza shop I went to when I was a kid where I got robbed for money, but because it's so close and so convenient and the pizza tastes so damn good, I can't stop going there. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like you're just really adding a lot of adjectives and flourish to it. I guess that's the best way that I can describe it. Okay. Yeah, I always feel like it was just really breaking down like... It, I feel like it's like it's like um, uh, I mean, you could it doesn't even have to be the mundane, but if like you're taking the mundane or you're, you're really examining the mundane and trying to find the beauty within it or trying to really enhance the moment, I guess. And I mean, I don't I don't think I ever took a creative nonfiction class, but just like I remember like learning about it and reading it and, and really like um, I'm not even breaking it down. But yeah, that's. So that'd be my best explanation. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I feel like the other thing is like because most people because net right now and and it's it's it sucks because like people who don't partake actively in reading like they they'll they instantly attach like a writer to a job right so it's like when you hear creative nonfiction most people's first first thought is oh Hunter S Thompson and I'm gonna be the first one to say it live I think Hunter S Thompson sucks I don't think his writing is any good. I've, I've only read one book that I actually enjoy and it was his fiction book. His, his other shit is just garbage. It's just drug induced stupidity. And it's like, I can watch any number of movies. I don't like the way you looked over at me and he said drug induced stupidity. <laughs> it was no that felt there. accusatory. <laughs> no I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not attacking you with your, my eyes. But yeah, I feel like everyone just instantly assumes that's Hunter S Thompson. And yes, that's the genre and that's that kind of thing. But it's like, it doesn't have to be like a fucking uh, hallucination sequence every other every other page. It can just be like you're talking about how the reason you like baseball is because your grandfather used to take you to play baseball. It's like almost in- incorporating memories in mind onto onto an actual fact of something that happened. Um, and I feel like again, I, I feel like I've read a lot of good creative nonfiction that's better than Hunter S. Thompson, but because that's the famous one and that's the one that everyone can put a poster on their wall of them. And and talk about Johnny Depp. They're all like, "Oh, that's creative nonfiction, dude. That's fear and loathing." And I'm like, "Fear and loathing absolutely fucking blows." Sorry, if you like, if if any of you guys like Hunter S. Thompson, I apologize. But like, I think he's a fucking tool. 